Welcome to worship at Providence Presbyterian Church on this Sunday, April 11, 2021. We are located at 2401 Broad Avenue. Just a reminder that per capita amount for 2021 is $38.15 per member. Use that figure for the special blue envelope in your new box of envelopes. We thank those of you who are currently able to support the church with your offerings. It truly is a blessing in enabling us to keep current in paying church expenses. Now, let us prepare our hearts for worship as we listen to the prelude. time of worship by joining together in the call to worship. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let us worship God. Let us pray. Breathe in this place, O Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, 
to open our minds, unlock our hearts, and enliven our faith so that we may welcome the risen one among us. Amen. We say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Trusting in God's mercy, let us confess our sin. You have shown yourself to us, O God, by word and spirit, with signs and wonders, in flesh and blood. Yet we still struggle to live and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us, forgive us, enter our lives and cast out our fear, so that we may come to trust in you and have life in Jesus' name. Amen. We have an advocate with God, Jesus Christ the 
righteous one who offered his life in love to save the world from sin. This is the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. As we prepare to hear God's word, let us join in prayer. God of all who doubt and believe, by the gift of your Spirit, enable us to hear with our ears, to see with our eyes, to touch with our hands your word of life, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Our New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together, 
and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Here ends our readings from God's word, and may he bless them to our hearts and our lives. Amen. Have you ever had that experience when you can't see something and it's right in front of you? For example, I looked into the refrigerator for a bottle of milk. I looked all around and couldn't find it. I called out to Kathy, are we out of milk? She calls back that she put a new bottle into the fridge yesterday. I looked at each shelf, but still I cannot find it. Kathy comes to the fridge. She finds it in less than five seconds. Now, a bottle of milk may matter to our family, but in the overall scheme of things, it is not a big deal. But this ever happens to us when dealing with the big issues of life, when we're looking for something important but just can't see it? How about when you look for God but can't sense his presence? We look for him, but we just can't seem to find him. Instead of sensing God, you feel like he has gone away or like he'll talk to anyone else but you. When you can't see God or sense his presence, what should you do? That's a dark place to be in, and it's similar to where the two of the band of Jesus' followers found themselves that this first in this first Sunday after the crucifixion. Our New Testament Gospel reading this morning records the longest post-resurrection appearance of Jesus found in the Bible. Moreover, instead of centering one of the eleven disciples, it focuses on two obscure followers of Jesus. One is named Cleopas. We know nothing about him except what we read here in Luke 24. He is never heard of again after these events. The other follower is not even named. And yet they play an important role in teaching us how to respond when we can't see Jesus. The passage starts with the two of them walking along the road from Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles away. Modern scholars have been unable to discover the location of the village for sure. They were in deep discussion and even debate with each other as they walked. They wondered how their expectations of the Messiah had come to such a tragic end. They had thought Jesus was the one, the long-awaited Messiah, who would free them from the Roman impression and restore to the nation power and prosperity she had once enjoyed under Kings David and his son Solomon, only magnified and multiplied. Now Jesus is dead and buried, and their hopes for glory seem to have been utterly destroyed. What had happened, and where was God in all of this? They made it through the last couple of days, but were sad and depressed. But now the third on the third day they heard the word from several women who would follow Jesus that his body wasn't in the tomb, and that angels had appeared to them, telling them Jesus is alive. Two of the eleven ran to the tomb and found that it was indeed empty, but they did not see any angels. We learn in the Gospel of John that it was Peter and John who had run to the tomb, but they returned puzzled about what had happened. Their faith is wavering. They are finding it too hard to believe. It is too dark. 
They came to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and now they're heartache and they're in heartache and despair. Cleopas and his friend believe it is time for them to go home to the village of Emmaus. When things get dark in our life, when we lose our jobs or a loved one dies, or a tragedy happens and our hearts don't sense Christ, it's easy to say, maybe he's not God after all. Maybe Jesus is not as powerful as I thought. But they were wrong, and so are we if we think that way. As they walk along, they are joined by a stranger. Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but they did not recognize him. Luke records that they were kept from recognizing him. The language in Greek here is quite forceful. Their eyes were overpowered. Here Luke is employing a clever narrative device called literary irony, in which the reader is aware of important facts that are hidden from the characters. Jesus asked a question designed to engage the men in conversation. What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? Cleopas' reply reveals a delightful paradox for the reader. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and are unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Of course, if anyone understood what had happened, it was Jesus. Jesus' response to Cleopas' statement didn't response to, G, to Cleopas statement, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? It was these things that had finally destroyed these disciples' dawning hope that Jesus was the Messiah. Now they must learn to see things in a quite new light. Jesus's rejection and death were not the end of his messianic claim, but rather the necessary means of its fulfillment. They should have known this because it was already clear in the Old Testament prophets, as he had already taught the disciples in Luke 18, 31 through 33. Jesus's resurrection is the first stage of what will be consummated in his ascension to heaven in 2451. Part of the cause of Cleophas and his companions' confusion lies in the way the Jews of his day looked at what we call the Old Testament. Some only accepted the first five books called the Books of Moses or the Torah. Others saw the Books of the Prophets and the Book of Psalms, the wisdom books like Proverbs, as God's appointed word. Even then, they saw in these prophetical books references to the suffering servant and the Son of Man, as well as the Son of God, and thought each of these was referring to a different person, and not as different aspects of one person, the Messiah. Have you ever had the experience? Um, excuse me. To help these two followers see, Jesus reviewed the entire history of Israel from the time of the Exodus to the time of his resurrection, highlighting God's plan for the Messiah. The Apostle John notes this in his Gospel when he writes, they still could not, did not understand from the Scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. This shows us that it was Jesus himself who inaugurated the early Christian approach to Scripture, 
which would go on to be to be discover pointers to Jesus across the whole range of the Old Testament, not only in, ex, in its explicit messianic promises, and not only in the prophetical books, but also in Moses and all the scriptures. Cleopas and his companions' viewpoint lacked a spiritual dimension, leaving them with only a human understanding of these events. It lacked any divine involvement. If they had, they would have seen that the trials, crucifixion, and burial of Jesus was the fulfillment of all he promised, not as the end of their hopes. At this point, it is early evening, and they have reached Emmaus. Jesus acts as if he was going to continue his journey. This is, this is the, uh, you know, they beg him to stay with them because that's the expected Jesus, Jewish custom of hospitality. And Jesus accepts their invitation. This was not surprising. What was surprising was at the table, Jesus, who was their guest, takes on the role of the host by praying and breaking the bread. Here Luke concludes this story with another bit of irony. The disciples had been staring into the face of the risen Jesus, yet they were prevented from seeing him until they had buried their faulty expectations. The careful review of the scriptures Jesus shared with them gave them a divine perspective on what the scriptures Jesus shared with gave them. And they saw at, you know, that they, when they had only seen dismal circumstances. Now, as Jesus breaks the bread, their eyes are open to the reality and the implications of the resurrection. And Jesus became visible to their physical eyes, and they recognized him. The Greek phrase here literally means their eyes were completely open, and they came to fully comprehend him. This action was more than a mere recognition of his features. They came to recognize Jesus in all his significance as the Messiah, the Son of God, and their risen Lord. Then Jesus became invisible, a fofus, meaning that he suddenly vanished from their minds. Miss. They had to say to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now, their new resurrected hope carried them back to Jerusalem to bear, to bear the good news to others. As Luke tells the story of the two despondent disciples on the road to Emmaus, we cannot help but to identify with their pain. We too are pilgrims on a journey through life. We too despair of life's circumstances from the time to time. We too lose heart when our expectations seem to come to a tragic end. But remember, every trial is an opportunity to discover what God wants us to see. As in the case of the two followers on the road to Emmaus, we must allow God to open our eyes. While this is something that he must do on our behalf, we can nonetheless make the process less difficult in four specific ways. First, we need to invite the invisible God in. Have you ever invited the Lord into your life? Cleopas and his companion listened intently to the voice of truth and invited him into their home. If you haven't begun a relationship with God, you will continue to struggle in vain. Second, 
you need to surrender your expectations. I ask you to personalize the following prayer and then offer it to God. Repeat after me. My Heavenly Father, I greatly desire, and here express the deepest expectations you have. While this expectation is mostly honorable and good, it is nonetheless mine and may not be yours. I am frustrated and disillusioned because all my efforts to accomplish what I believe to be right has failed to accomplish anything. Therefore, I must accept that the outcome I desire may not be what you desire. Lord, I release my expectation, and I humbly ask you to accomplish your will in whatever manner you see fit, and in whatever time you consider appropriate. Amen. Thirdly, seek God's perspective. To help the two disciples see their circumstances from God's perspective, Jesus explained the scriptures. And we have the same opportunity to share God's vantage point by reading our Bibles, the only completely reliable source of truth. The 66 books of the Bible. This doesn't have to be complicated. Simply set aside as little as 10 minutes each day to read. The Bible is the best-selling, least-read book in America, even among people who call themselves Christians. Friends, this should not be. Finally, trust God's timing. God, in his perfect discernment, did not allow the two disciples to recognize Jesus until the time was right. He didn't allow them to suffer in grief a moment longer than was absolutely necessary, yet he didn't end their discomfort too soon. Spiritual maturity rarely occurs instantaneously. Growth usually requires a journey, and journeys take time. Submit to God's will and trust his timing. He is faithful. Circumstances, especially those involving loss, are usually perceived as difficult because reality does not mesh with our expectations. The two followers on the road to Emmaus undoubtedly felt that they were utterly alone as they mourned the death of their dreams. During their suffering, God was indeed nearby, and he only allowed their pain to continue until their own desires no longer held them captive. Like the two on the road to Emmaus, you do not travel alone. God is with you. Are you willing to see him? Now, would you rise with me, if able, and let us join together in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of God, from thence they should come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen.
Now let us prepare our hearts for prayer. Almighty God, we thank you that Jesus is risen from the dead and that we have the assurance that this is a true and certain fact. We have the words of the apostles and the words of the prophets made sure. Help us, Lord, to be willing to surrender our expectations to your perfect will and your timing. We pray this day for your blessing. We ask you to send your spirit of peace. We pray for the church. Let your church be a living sign of the woundedness and healing of Christ, sharing the gift of forgiveness and the gospel reconciliation. Pour out your blessing. We pray for the earth. Help us to see the scars of death that mark your good creation, to seek the blessing of life that you offer to all creatures. We pray for all nations. Show us how good and pleasant it is when people live together in unity and anoint us with your wisdom so that we may seek the ways of life. We pray for our community. Give us a vision of the common good, not clinging to our own possessions, but seeking the fullness of life for all as a testimony to Christ's resurrection. We pray for our loved ones. Be near those who walk in darkness and lead us all into Christ's light so that our fellowship may be true and our joy may be complete. By the blessing of your Spirit, help us to live as we pray so that the world could come to know the gift of life in Christ our Lord. And let us join together in that prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen.
Now let your life be a sign of Christ's life, so that others may come to believe that the Lord is risen indeed. This is the blessing of the Lord, life evermore. Amen. We thank you for worshiping with us today. We hope you have been blessed and God has been glorified. May you have a God-blessed week. We look forward to you joining us again next Sunday and invite your friends to listen.